Season one, episode two, I had the pleasure of interviewing Hilton Barber, who is based out of Toronto in Canada. Now, Hilton has a very interesting background in marketing and strategy, and he's actually made a career out of using that to help organizations to actually improve their culture. So if you'd like to follow Hilton's work, you can visit his website, hiltonbarber.com. And in this episode, he's going to unpack some of the basics in terms of the link between culture and strategy and why culture is so important to your organization. And then he's also going to talk about why you might actually be missing out on a fantastic ally if you do want to actually change and improve your culture, if you're not working with your marketing team. Enjoy. So thank you very much for making the time to actually chat to us about this very, very important topic that we've chosen for season one, which is toxic workplace culture. Well, it's a delight to be here, Deb. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks so much. Now, oh, well, you know, with all due reverence to Peter Drucker, the unfortunate thing is that quote is often often misquoted. It sounds fantastic, culture eats strategy for breakfast, and it makes for a fantastic meme, which I think we all see about a thousand times a day on LinkedIn. The reality is, is what Drucker said is, your strategy is a very fluid part of your business, but if it runs headlong into a rigid culture, it's going to fail. And I think that's the nuance that's often missed when people put that wonderful meme up. So for me, my, my career has been in marketing and communications. And through that, a tremendous amount has been strategy work, of course. Yes. Where is an organization going? What is it looking to do in the marketplace? And most importantly, what is, what is it looking to do to win in the marketplace? That's the only reason business exists is obviously to win in the marketplace. And to win, invariably, that requires the commitment, the energy, the enthusiasm of your people. So there isn't, there is this very natural intersection between strategy, the direction of an organization, and culture, which is the ability for that strategy to be deployed correctly. Yes. Now, the struggle, sorry. Sorry, so you've got this amazing quote that I'd really like you to say in your own words um, mm-hmm. and to then really unpack that for people because I just love it. I think it's a stroke of genius and I think it just really crystallizes and illustrates exactly what you mean by all of this. Well, you know, for, for me, the, the notion that strategy is the engine really comes from the sense of that is the core driver of your business. What are we trying to do? To whom are we trying to work with? To whom are we trying to attract to our business? What is going to drive this organization forward? That comes from strategy. But culture is the fuel. Culture is the ingredient that makes the engine work. And if you have the wrong fuel in it, or if you don't have enough fuel driving your strategy, 
your engine, your car, your business isn't going anywhere. So for me, as pithy as it, as it may sound, that is the intersection that I see. Strategy is the engine of, of growth, of direction, but without culture, you ain't going anywhere. So for me, that, that's the simplest way of me looking at the intersection between those two things. Okay. So, you know, we talk a lot about employer branding and it's becoming, you know, employee engagement and there's all these little catchphrases. And I think for most leaders out there, it sounds HRE and it sounds like shit, that's not my problem, you know? And <laughs> given the work that you do, you work at a very niche kind of nexus point between strategy, kind of there's this very interesting little nexus point there. And then obviously a lot of change management around, mm -hmm. you know, getting those two to gel nicely and, and, and play well mm -hmm. together. So from an employer mm -hmm. branding perspective, now, um, you know, Glassdoor is great in the US and in Canada. And um, there's lots of other countries in the world where we don't have a tool like Glassdoor. There isn't something super transparent where people are kind of rating an employer. So for mm -hmm. you, someone who works in this space, how would you explain employer branding to mm -hmm. a typical business leader? And mm -hmm. why would you say employer branding is important for leaders to take notice of? Sure. And and there's a there's a fair bit to unpack in there. So let me let me start perhaps with the simplest things. In order for our people to understand where our organization is going, that's a communications task. We need to make our strategy transparent. We need to make it comprehensible. We need to make it understood by the people inside our organization. That's a communications task. And in many cases, that's a marketing task. Yeah. Why are we doing this? Why is this going to work? How are we going to make it happen? What do we need to do or stop doing in order for it to be successful? Yeah. A lot of that is communications. And a lot of that in true marketing, in true marketing work is also about galvanizing new behavior. Yeah. What do we need to stop doing? What do we need to start doing? That often is a, is, is a marketing task. What are the behaviors that our consumers, or in this case, our employees, are doing that we want them to continue to do? Yeah. What are the ones we want them to stop doing? What is this new thought about how we work together to be successful that we want to ensure that everybody is aware of? It doesn't help if senior management knows the direction of the organization, but the person in touch or facing the consumer doesn't. Yeah. That's where strategy falls down. If our people don't know where we're going, don't know why we're going there, and don't know the part or the role they play in getting there, again, the strategy fails. It's broken, yeah. So, so you know, from a, from a leadership perspective, from a day-to-day -day managing a group of people, what I'm hearing you say is that there's a very big, even if you're not a marketing guru or you weren't a comms major in college, there's, there's a show-and-tell element to this stuff. You need to kind of tell people what you want to do. And then because people do what we do, you know, they don't do what we say. They, they follow the behaviors that we 
they model the things that we do. So it's really about kind of telling them the why and, and then also showing them. So when you're talking about behaviors, it's around modeling the behavior that you want to see in people. 100%. And this is, this is, a, basic, this is a basic thing that leaders often, often forget or often perhaps aren't as sensitive as they should be. Yeah. I mean, people like, people like Tom Peters have been talking about this for decades. His latest book, The Excellence Dividend, is one of my most favorite because the entire book talks about excellence in business is entirely driven by people yes. and entirely driven by a leader's commitment to show by their own actions how they are different and how the organization is different. Yeah. And I think it, there's one thing, you're absolutely right, there's one thing to put pithy messages up on walls and genuinely those get derided for a bunch of very good reasons. Yeah. But time and again, we do look to how our leaders behave. We do look to the way that they communicate in terms of their actions and in terms of their words. The, cla the classic example, and again, perhaps one of my most favorite ways of describing culture, is culture is defined by the worst behavior tolerated by management. Yes, and tolerated there for me is the operative word because that kind of says, you know, we, we've got the power. You see me doing something shocking and unacceptable. The minute yes. you don't call me out on it, you're mm -hmm. kind of tacitly accepting my behavior and I'm going to do it again. And then the people in my team are going to start doing it, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and this is a very interesting thing. And I, I spoke to Dr. Cameron Sapar about this. Um, and, and he's also one of our panelists on this season. And he was talking about how when we look at the dark triad in psychology, when we look at um, narcissism and psychopathy and Machiavellianism, Machiavellianism yeah. is the one that isn't like a, a psychological disorder, you know. It is the one thing that any one of us, given the right, and I'm saying this in inverted commas, the right set of circumstances, any one of us can become Machiavellian. And what you're saying here now for me, that's a perfect example because you're tolerating shocking, unacceptable behavior. And the message that I'm getting as a new hire or a newly promoted manager is this is how we do things in this organization. And if I want to move ahead and if I want to keep my job, then mm -hmm. this is how I need to behave as well. And I might not at the core of my being be a super dark, evil, you know, horrible person, but I'm going to start, exactly, criminal mastermind, you know, but mm -hmm. I'm going to start displaying those behaviors because it is tolerated. And mm -hmm. the next step and, and the really dark side of tolerating that stuff is the next thing that happens over time mm -hmm. is it kind of almost gets celebrated. It becomes interwoven in the fabric of your organization and that's how everyone's doing it. Well, it, it, it's natural human psychology or yeah. physiology, let's be honest. You're right in any situation that we come into, you look for cues of the people who are already there for how yes. to act and how to behave. 
you go to a, you go to a dinner party if it's loud and raucous invariably you'll start speaking more loudly and more raucously exactly. if it's quiet and sophisticated you will behave accordingly because time and again our social nuances send us cues to say how do you fit in here yes now for a lot of organizations sorry for a lot of people coming into a new situation like a workplace environment it is inherently about fitting in how do i achieve what i need to do how do i achieve to get some sense of sanity norm normalcy around me and what do i do to advance those yeah. are basic drivers and if i look around and i see and it doesn't always have to be shocking obtuse ridiculous behavior yes even the most benign situations send a very powerful signal do people greet the receptionist when they come in perhaps the lowliest person in the organization are they treated with equal respect to the ceo that sends a signal if nobody does do okay. people tidy up after a meeting do people yes. arrive on time for a meeting i think it's it's easy for us to look at extreme situations harvey weinstein me too yes. for example yes. those are ridiculous exceptions but the reality is even the simplest things communicate do we sit on our phones while our colleagues are running a meeting yet we say on our walls that we have a value of respect well the behaviors contradict what we say exactly. so time and again when i'm talking to organizations and talking to leaders it's really about drawing their attention to even the most benign small and conceivably insignificant details about how they're acting about what they're tolerating if yes. we tolerate people being 5 minutes late for a meeting it sends a powerful signal that time doesn't really matter here and it becomes the norm yes it becomes the norm <laughs> so exactly. you know can we talk briefly then you know employer branding is is everything around how your organization is perceived it's the stories mm -hmm. that people tell internally but it's also the stories that people tell outside of your walls you know and yes. we can have a whole separate podcast about the the communities that form within organizations mm -hmm. and you know we yeah. have um we start collaborating you know we're on a management team and invariably and i've seen this a lot of times and i'm sure you have as well because you also do a lot of interim assignments like i do um mm -hmm. you know th there's the official whatsapp group i know whatsapp isn't as huge in the us but it's huge here and in the uk there's the official whatsapp group for the management team or the project project team and then there's kind of the unofficial whatsapp group that mm -hmm you and me and a couple of colleagues have started and and that's where the real conversations happen and often Absolutely. what happens is i roll off the project you roll off the project but you're still a part of that whatsapp group mm -hmm. and those myths and those stories are still getting to people outside of the organization and next weekend at a dinner party someone says oh i'm going for an interview at such and such and very innocently you then share you know a little story about something that happened and mm -hmm. it's not always about glass door it's also these kind of informal messages 
So how much mm-hmm. damage can these messages actually do when you talk about the war for talent and you talk about attracting and retaining the best people? How mm-hmm. important is it for the modern employee in, in, your, in your experience? How, how much do they care about culture and what people are saying about the company they're going to work for? Well, the, the short answer is they care significantly. And yeah. I, don't, I, I can't believe that there's a single person in the world who doesn't pay significant attention to where am I going to spend the next 60 hours of next week? What is that environment going to look like? How, how likely is it that I, with my personality or my perspective or the way that I do things, that I will be successful inside that organization. Is it going to feel like a stone in my shoe, constantly rubbing and chafing me every day when I go into the office? Will I feel that I can contribute? Will it feel like I can actually be successful? Or from everything that I've heard, will it feel like this will be an ongoing uphill battle at all times? And I will suggest that as important as it is to be paid appropriately for the job that you do, significant amounts of people look at how hard is this going to be for me to do what I do in the way that I do it. So it is incredibly important. And you're right. And you talked earlier about the WhatsApp group. It's the modern equivalent of the water cooler effect. People will gather informally and talk about the great sporting news that happened last night. Or they will talk about, did you see what happened in sales last week? Or I can't believe that the meeting I just left, this occurred. That kind of communication, that kind of message, that goes through an organization with more alacrity and in many cases with more credibility than any memo from the CEO. Exactly. Because it's from the people at the coalface. So thinking for a moment that you can avoid the water cooler effect is a sign of utmost naivety. Wanting to influence the water cooler effect in terms of rituals, in terms of communications, in terms of actually just making a human connection between leadership and the people in the business. A question for you, Hilton, you know, before we, we end this really, really informative um, interview is when you're working on transforming culture or, or when you're working on, on just injecting a little bit more kind of magic into your organizational culture, you're mm-hmm. quite a big proponent of CMOs, you know, marketing, getting more involved. Why would you say HR should work more closely with marketing, with ops, with other senior execs when they're trying to get workplace culture right? For me, it's quite simple, I think. Um, Marketing's role has always been about enticing people to change, to move to make a new decision, buy a new product, try a new service. And, And the requirement to do that in a culture transformation is significant. Whenever we're trying to ask our people to do something differently, to act or behave differently, that's an exercise in marketing. Why should I do that? What is going to be the preferred outcome that I'm going to get if I act in that way? That's such a pivotal part of any culture transformation. And to me, I think it's absolute requirement for 
CHRO and a CMO to be connected at the hip, what are you going to do to entice, remind, and reinforce that culture change driven by behavioral change is what the organization requires? To do that without marketing, I think, is, is asking for failure. But to do it with marketing will be, in my mind, something that has an absolute chance of success. So I think it's a no-brainer, quite honestly. It, it might be to you. I mean, it makes perfect sense. And I must be honest, I've seen the companies that have done this the most successfully and who've transformed their employer brand. Um, they've worked very, very closely with, with marketing. And in some cases, actually, I'd go as far as saying marketing has almost been the main driver of the process, um, not really HR necessarily, which is a whole separate conversation, I think, for another day. <laughs> So Hilton, if, if folks want to get in contact with you and they want to follow you on social media, um, how do they do that? Where do they get hold of you? Uh, easiest place is my website, hiltonbarber.com. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn. So please reach out. Always open and very, very happy to get into a conversation like this. And Deb, thank you for this opportunity. You've pulled together something quite remarkable with Leadership Burrito. I can't wait to see where it goes next. Thank you so much, Hilton. I hope you have a wonderful day. And thank you so much for participating in this. Take good care. You too.